Every minute of Narrative's reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. Hey everybody, welcome to Narrative Live. It's our second episode in our pop-up pod. There's something about Rudy. Last week we spoke a lot about Rudy and the mob. We learned a lot about his perhaps allegiances with the uh, the Russians against the Italians in New York City and how all that helped Donald Trump. This week we're dealing again with the same duo from New York, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. One of the best photos of the last few weeks, Nancy Pelosi standing up, pointing her finger at Donald Trump saying, all roads with you lead to Putin. And in fact, that is what appears to be the case, especially when it comes to Ukraine. This world has a new country tonight, Ukraine. For most of the 20th century, Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. The White House says it is moving toward full diplomatic recognition. In 1991, Ukraine became independent, much to the chagrin of Vladimir Putin, who desperately wants a Russian empire. Ukrainians on Sunday voted for independence from the Soviet Union. The countries can't just invade other countries without a good reason these days. So Putin decided he needed a puppet president installed in Ukraine to help him with his empire dreams. He turned to two oligarchs with deep ties to Ukraine, Dmitry Firtash and Oleg Deripaska. They in turn hired Paul Manafort for $10 million a year. Manafort was able to rehabilitate the image of a convicted felon, Viktor Yanukovych, and then made him president in 2010. In 2014, Yanukovych was swept from power by the Maidan Revolution, which claimed 77 people's lives. Yanukovych fled to Russia, but not before he emptied the treasury of $1.5 billion. He also laundered millions of dollars with oligarch Pavel Fuchs. And Manafort himself was able to get away with $12.5 million, which his daughter would later call blood money. Putin wasn't about to let a revolution stop him, so he invaded Ukraine and annexed Crimea in 2014. Uh, Ukraine is a number one priority for Putin. He is determined to rebuild the Soviet Union. He wants his empire, and he's coming after Ukraine to get it. And he's already started doing That's why he annexed Crimea. Of course, that was uh, responded to by the United States and other Western countries by sanctions, huge sanctions against him personally and other oligarchs in the Russian Federation. It's caused them a lot of hardship. And the reason we have Donald Trump today It can be easily argued the only reason we have Donald Trump today is because Putin wants to get rid of those sanctions. And in order to get rid of those sanctions, he needs a solution in Ukraine, which allows him to keep Crimea, allows him to keep Ukraine, and allows him to keep all that stolen money that he stole from the Russians over the last few years. He's easily one of the world's richest criminals, if not one of the world's richest people. And this is personal for these guys. Trump could get his Trump Tower in Moscow, which he really wants because it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. If he's able to do this, Putin might get his hundreds of billions of dollars that he's got hidden in offshore accounts. And this is the only thing that matters to these guys, ultimately. Maybe a little bit of Syria, maybe some other things. But at the end of the day, for Trump and for Putin, there's only one thing on the agenda that really matters, and that is a Ukraine solution to drop sanctions. And we know this because even before Donald Trump stepped a foot into the White House as the president of the United States, as the faux president of the United States, He and his team were plotting with Putin's team about how they were going to get rid of uh, Petro Poroshenko, who was at the time the president of Ukraine. And we know this because it's public record and it's also in 
the Mueller report. Um, but if you don't remember all the details, let's look back at, at sort of December 2016, how Trump and Putin tried to overthrow the leader of Ukraine. The meeting took place in December 2016 in New York City. Felix Sater, Trump's business partner in Trump Tower, Moscow, and Trump's then-attorney, Michael Cohen, met Andrei Artemenko, a pro-Putin Ukrainian politician. The three men discussed a plan to overthrow Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko by exposing his alleged corruption. Make no mistake about it, had this plan worked out, it would have changed the world. Putin would have had Ukraine, Trump would have had his Moscow Trump Tower, Ukrainian oligarch Viktor Vexelberg already had Michael Cohen, and Andrei Artemenko would have been the president of Ukraine. Shortly after the inauguration in January 2017, Michael Cohen sent the Ukrainian peace deal over to Michael Flynn, who is now the national security advisor at the White House. Investigators were already tracking Flynn and discovered that he and Jared Kushner had not only tried to establish a back channel between the administration and Russia, but that Flynn was also texting Ambassador Sergei Kislyak to discuss sanctions. So now it's January in Washington, D.C. This is probably what the White House looked like, a little bit more snowy. It's also the first time we met Acting Attorney General Sally Yates, who is one of the undeniable and unsung heroes of Trump Russia. It was Yates who called up Don McGahn, the White House counsel. She told him she needed to meet him urgently, and she went to the White House that day. When she got there, she told McGahn, we believe Flynn is compromised by the Russians. McGahn said he wanted to take a closer look at the evidence and arranged a meeting with Yates for the following week. That meeting never happened because she was fired just a couple of days later for some made-up reason by Donald Trump. By contrast, it took Michael Flynn 18 days to get the chop. Because that's the kind of guy Donald Trump is. A whistleblower comes to him, a responsible Department of Justice officials telling that one of his officials may be compromised by the Russians. His response is to fire the whistleblower, to fire the official who came up with that. That's the way he thinks. That's the way he's always thought. And that's why we're seeing his reaction to the current impeachment proceedings. But it also tells you a little bit about how incredible a person Sally Yates was and is. There is probably no other single person in the Trump-Russia events of the last three years that has single-handedly actually pushed back the clock on, on Putin and Trump's agenda, because had she not gone to the White House on that day, had she not told uh, Don McGahn that she was concerned about Michael Flynn, they could have implemented this plan, this Artemenko, Sater, uh, Michael Cohen plan that would have overthrown Poroshenko. And who knows where we would be today? We could have, in fact, a pro-Putin government in Ukraine, and we could have had sanctions lifted. So she was able to really push this whole thing back by at least six months, because when you look at the timeline, and we'll go through it next, it's pretty clear that between Flynn's firing and May, things were very quiet. You got the sense that in the White House and in Moscow, people were saying, we've just been caught and we should probably pull back. But by May, they had their confidence back. And that's when you remember Lavrov and Kislyak, the foreign minister of, the, of Russia and the ambassador to Russia, for Russia to the United States, both showed up unexpectedly to us, at least, at the White House with Donald Trump. Let's take a look at that timeline because it's very interesting and I want you to pay special attention to where the firing of Jim Comey happens because it's very revealing. 
We know already that Donald Trump fired Jim Comey because of that Russia thing. That's what he told NBC at the time. But it's really because of that Russia thing because it happened the day before Lavrov and Kislyak arrived. The Ukraine peace deal happens around December 2016. By late January, Deputy AG Sally Yates has alerted the White House she's concerned about Michael Flynn. He could be compromised. Trump tries to pressure the FBI's Jim Comey to kill the investigation by letting Flynn go. That doesn't really help Flynn's case very much and he's fired in the middle of February. U.S.-Russia relations then froze for a few months, but by May, Moscow had let Trump know that Foreign Minister Lavrov was coming for a visit. Trump may have been panicking, but literally the day before Lavrov is set to arrive, he decides to fire Comey for what he says is that Russia thing. The very next day, as Lavrov and Kislyak were visiting the White House, they got to see Trump in the Oval Office. He told them, I just fired the head of the FBI. He was crazy, a real nut job. And he told them, I face great pressure because of Russia. Now that's taken off. So, you know, it's pretty clear to me in any event that it appears like Donald Trump fired James Comey because these guys were coming to town and the FBI had boxed him in on everything Ukraine on everything Russia, especially as they indicated when they alerted him to the fact that Flynn was compromised because Flynn was doing his work. So if Flynn was compromised, he was compromised. There was no place for him to run or hide unless he fired James Comey, which he did. The show is about Rudy Giuliani, and he is here in the story, even though we've taken a little time to get to him. Let's explain to you a little bit more about how he ties in. On that day that Lavrov and Kislyak were at the White House, there was somebody else at the White House, and that was the foreign minister of Ukraine. Now, it's unusual that these two visits coincided, but it's not that unusual because maybe there was some, some backroom, back-channel negotiations going on between the parties here. You can see that the foreign minister can get a photo with Donald Trump, just a photo, unlike a meeting that, Kurt, that Kislyak and uh, Lavrov got. Putin, even, Trump even posted this on his Twitter the next day, yesterday. On the same day, I had meetings with the Russian foreign minister and the foreign minister of Ukraine, Pavlo Klimkin. This is important, of course. This is important that these two met at the same time. But was there something else going on behind the scenes? According to some people, Klimkin only got his photo after a $400,000 bribe was paid to, to Trump and company for that photo. I have no way of verifying that. It's chatter in the espionage community. No way of confirming that. So don't take that as gospel. But it's certainly interesting. Who else was there that day? Rudy Giuliani. Now, he's ostensibly there because he has another job for the President of the United States. His official title for the President of the United States is he's the special advisor on cybersecurity. Who knows what uh, Rudy Giuliani knows about cybersecurity, but he is that to the President of the United States. And at exactly the same time, and I can't underline this enough, at exactly the same time as this meeting is taking place with Lavrov, and, and uh, Kislyak and the meeting with the, the foreign minister of Ukraine and Giuliani's there uh, in the White House. At the same time, Giuliani Partners, uh, which is also a security company, a consulting firm, does all this work around the world, signed two important contracts with two cities in Ukraine. Now, maybe, maybe they need some consulting work there in Ukraine, but 
There probably is another reason for what is going on here. The company's called Giuliani Security and Safety. They get two lucrative contracts with the city of Kiev and with the city of Kharkiv. Now, if you're not familiar with how Ukraine breaks down geopolitically, the Kharkiv itself is a is Russian stronghold. Most people speak Russian in there, Russian there. I think it's called Kharkiv is the right way of pronouncing it. The great parts with Kiev are the Western-leaning parts. Poroshenko, the guy that Trump was plotting to remove with Putin's team, there he is with Giuliani in the bottom picture there next to Kiev, the mayor of Kiev on the top left. You've got to believe money is changing hands like crazy here to buy influence for the White House. There is no ways these contracts are really about cybersecurity. I'm sure there are officially good reasons for them to be talking about cybersecurity. But if Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump, this is all about the money. This is about who's paying whom so they can get some cash out of this Ukraine deal. There is no doubt that there's a lot of money coming from the city of Kiev to Rudy Giuliani to keep them involved in the Trump picture, in the Trump White House, to keep having influence over the White House as this weird situation with a president of Russia has installed a president of the United States. They need leverage, so they're buying it from Giuliani and from Trump. And Giuliani and Trump are laughing all the way to the bank. Now, the city of Kharkiv is a slightly different issue. The city of Kharkiv is, as we mentioned, largely a Russian stronghold. He has a contract there with the city of Kharkiv, probably half a million dollars a year. It is not, in fact, paid for by the city of Kharkiv. It's paid for by a oligarch named Pavel Fuchs. Now, you may remember earlier on, I spoke to you a little bit about Pavel Fuchs being one of the people suspected of stealing millions of dollars out of uh, Ukraine for uh, Viktor Yanukovych. But Pavel Fuchs is a very wealthy guy. He is Ukrainian-born and a good friend of Vladimir Putin. In fact, many people suspect that he could be related to or influenced by the secret services of Russia, that he's operating as a secret agent in Ukraine on behalf of Russia. Vladimir Putin gave him a medal a few years ago. And so he is the guy who is paying Rudy Giuliani for all his so-called cybersecurity work in Kharkiv. I am going to pose this question. It's a loud out question. I don't know the answer to this, but you have to ask, is Rudy Giuliani actually on the payroll of the Russian security services or of Vladimir Putin in his work that he's doing for Kharkiv at exactly the same time that he's negotiating all this other stuff on behalf of the president of the United States. In fact, he says he's working only for the president of the United States in the Ukraine. But when you ask Pavel Fuchs, as the New York Times did, who he's working for, and Pavel Fuchs says quite bluntly, Rudy is a lobbyist for Kharkiv. Would you consider him a lobbyist for Kharkiv? Americansky. I know that was buffering as well, but I, I love the word Americansky. Basically, they're loving the Russian influence, but it's, it's important that you note that Rudy's not registered as a foreign agent. He's not on the far list for anybody. And yet there's the guy paying Rudy for his lobbying work in the United States to bring economic muscle back to the eastern part of Ukraine. And uh, he claims he's a lobbyist. You, no, Rudy might be breaking the law. Rudy is probably in violation of a FARA law if he's in fact lobbying uh, for 
Russia and Ukraine, which is what he appears to be doing by getting a check from Pavel Fuchs, who's directly related to Vladimir Putin. Certainly worth investigation. And you might think it stops there because, you know, how many kind of crazy, obvious connections can you possibly have to Trump and Putin related to the Ukraine gate work that uh, Giuliani is doing right now? It doesn't stop there because guess who else knows very well Pavel Fuchs? Uh, Donald Trump. In fact, Pavel Fuchs was the guy who negotiated the original Trump Tower licensing agreement in 2006 to 2009, that era. That is when Pavel Fuchs was in negotiation on a regular basis with Donald Trump and his son, Donald Trump Jr., in order to build a $100 million tower in Moscow, in the Moscow City project for Donald Trump. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but if you're looking for quid pro quo, this looks a lot like quid pro quo to me. This guy is the guy who was negotiating the Trump Tower in Moscow. Maybe he's still negotiating the Trump Tower in Moscow. Maybe that's still a carrot being dangled in front of Donald Trump as he awaits his, his money day, his big gold rush day for handing over Ukraine to the Russians. Al Jazeera did a fantastic investigation just recently about Pavel Fuchs. Like Bayer One, Fuchs is friends with now US President Donald Trump. He's negotiated with him several times since 2004, but never completed a deal to build a Trump hotel in Moscow. President Putin has honored Fuchs for his contribution to the Russian economy. Fuchs owns several prestigious properties in the Russian capital. He built this complex in partnership with the powerful son-in-law of former Russian President Boris Yeltsin. Another partner was a Kazakh businessman, later sentenced to jail over a multi-billion dollar fraud. He's a tough boss. What's interesting about him is that the extent to which he shows that the separation between Ukraine and Russia can be a bit skin deep. The elites of both Ukraine and Russia, for them, it's basically the same country. The money flows backwards and forwards. The business deals go backwards and forwards. It's basically the same country. The business deals flow backwards and forwards. The money flows backwards and forwards. And for Donald Trump, who for a long time swore to all of us, he had no deals in Russia, maybe wasn't being as honest because he probably wasn't including Ukraine, where he seems to have a business arrangement with Pavel Fuchs and others. And we'll dig deeper into the Ukraine ties of Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani in our next episode when we focus on Dimitra Firtash and also the work that Giuliani has been doing in cybersecurity. Every minute of narratives reporting, every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives.